0: Till we reach the promised land, it's day by day. Will we spend at each moment with Jesus, moment by moment, knowing Jesus more and more? Will we continue steadfastly in prayer? Will we pray without ceasing? Will we have that sweet communion with Jesus and will we tell it? to Jesus. Our theme verses over the different messages I've preached recently come from the book of Acts on what are the activities of the church. And we come today to the fact that the church needs to be continuing steadfastly in prayers. Steadfastly in prayers. You know, when we read about prayer in the Bible, and then we read prayers in the Bible, and we read situations, sometimes it's hard for us to connect to the reality. Sometimes it's hard for us to know, how do we parallel this? How do we apply this in our own lives? I speak at least for myself. This morning, I'd like to tell you a little story that's modern. And then I'd like for us to look at a prayer in the book of Acts and see how it fits together. Earlier this year, a couple was informed that they would be able to have no more children. But as time went by, the wife got pregnant, and there was such great joy. But not long passed, and they lost that little one. And there was great sorrow. Remembering that the doctor said they could have no more children, they continued on with life. And lo and behold, she gets pregnant again. And you know what? She's sitting here this morning. And I asked her if I could share her story and use her story as something very real and precious to all of us to understand how we can pray for her and how she can pray. Her name's Angie. Angie and Derek have had this trial through this year. And not all of us realize it. Some of us do. Some of us have been right there along the trial, right there with them. How can we together pray for them? How can we then also learn from their experience and how we pray for them of how we can pray for ourselves with our problems, with our story, and then how can we pray for others? There's a unique prayer I'd like for us to look at. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts? Acts chapter 4. The origin of this message is that I was going to, in preaching on Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where it declares that the church continued steadfastly In prayers, I was going to do a survey of all the different prayers and highlight the different prayers in the book of Acts. And then I turned the page, and I got to the first one, and I found a whole sermon, and I couldn't just survey this prayer. It was so spectacular and has so many truths for all of us. But I'd like to read the history around it because it has bearing on understanding what then takes place in this prayer so if you follow with me as i read the history beginning in acts chapter 4 and verse 1 and as they spake unto the people the priest and the captain of the temple and the sadducees came upon them these are the disciples in the temple being grieved that they taught the people and preached through jesus the resurrection from the dead That's not something to be grieved about. That's something to rejoice in. But the enemies of the gospel grieve in it. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers, the elders and the scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what authority or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, the man whom he healed, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set not of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the consul, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them. They speak henceforth to no man in this name, the name of Jesus. They could even mention it. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. The impotent man healed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard them, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. And here is their prayer. They said, Lord, thou art God. Which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, "Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus. "...whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Heavenly Father, meet with us now. Dear Spirit of God, move among us and teach us. Teach us to pray. May we consider this prayer of Peter and John and the other disciples, that they prayed with one accord in their crisis. May we learn lessons from it of how we can pray in our own crisis. In the crisis of brothers and sisters among us. Teach us to pray. We submit ourselves now to your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is a pretty serious crisis, isn't it? The church of Jesus Christ has been threatened. Threatened by human rulers, human governors. Can we parallel that? To our dear brother and sister situation this year, her family was threatened. In this case, by no particular person. But by what Romans chapter 8 declares a creation groaning and travailing together in pain. You see, all the ugliness... Of barrenness, is a result of hmm, the sin curse. Don't confuse that necessarily with personal sin. It's the sin that came into the world and the curse that came into the world long time ago when Adam took of the fruit. In fact, it's actually surprising to realize that at the very beginning, One of the things point-blank acknowledged had to do with childbirth. Oh, how creation would groan and travail together in pain. But you know, that's not God's design, is it? In the beginning, when he created all things, he created all things very good. Look at this prayer of Peter and John and their own company. They lifted up their voice to God when they were being threatened with a crisis. And with one accord, they said, Lord. We use that as a name, but do we understand what it means? Sometimes it might profit us when we use that word to substitute it for its literal meaning. Master. Master master, Lord, the one whom I serve, thou art God. You know, we sing that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Why do we say that? Because when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world, they grow strangely dim. Have you ever thought of when you have the proper perspective of God, your crisis gets smaller and smaller and smaller because He is God. And oh, how interesting it is that these men, in dealing with their crisis, declared first God to be their Lord, their Master, then declared Him to be God. They're acknowledging who he is in the midst of their crisis. And then they acknowledge something about him that is amazing and is fundamental to all crises. What is that? That he is the creator. He has made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. For these apostles, that included Caiaphas, Annas, the high priest, John, Alexander, the Sanhedrin, who were threatening them. Picture with me those all. The Sanhedrin was a consul that would meet in Jerusalem. They had a special chamber just outside the temple where 70 men would sit in a big circle. Now, just for a moment, imagine your Peter and John and you are ushered into a room larger than this with a circle of 70 men around you threatening you. You realize this prayer is acknowledging that those men who were threatening them had been created by God. Everything had been created. Now in our modern time story, Angie, Derek, you're created beings, and the little one you lost was created. Looking to God and recognizing that He's the Creator is a special thing. And it's also special to go back to that sixth day in those times of heartache when we are tempted by the Father of lies, our adversary. Who is sometimes whispering and sometimes roaring lies in our ears. To remember that when the good God created all things, he said, It's very good. Which reminds us that he is very good. Which reminds us that he is always good, even in the hard days. Do you see what is happening in this prayer? If you go back to the Psalms, have you ever noticed that the praying person in the Psalms is talking to himself? Have you ever noticed that? It's like this prayer, and he's talking to himself, and you're like, wait a minute. How is this praying? He's talking to himself. Well, if you go back and you study some of those Psalms and other places in Scripture, you'll find that what they're doing and what we need to be doing is repeating to ourselves ourselves what God has said that's why it's prayer is communion we're actually repeating to ourselves and reminding ourselves of what God has already declared to be true you might say we're preaching at ourselves we're preaching at ourselves truths so that then when we come to God we know who he is so often, our prayers are weak. May I speak for myself? Because my view of God is weak. That's why it's so great for children. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. You know, that's a great prayer to pray before you ask God for something. How great He is! He's big, and He's strong, and He's mighty. That whole little children's song is a great song for children of all ages. It doesn't matter how old you get. It is a wonderful song to sing as you begin to pray. And we often sometimes end that song with this action for you, and we point at our neighbor. When we're praying in the midst of a crisis, we can pray that song, sing that song, we could end it for me our view of who god is he is our master he is god he is creator when we consider the fact that he is creator we remember that he is good and we also remember colossians 1:16: not only that he created all things but by him all things consist i tell you all over and over and over i love this time of year because I love to hear the acorn fall and think, God told it to fall. I love to see the sunrise. I love to watch, take my phone app and tell tells me what time sunrise is and to go and watch it when you can see the horizon. And it just, it's, it's on the second. It is so exciting. I just find it so exciting of how God's faithfulness is new every morning. You can do the same thing as sun sets. I, if I'm ever at, a, at like a, a ocean or a beach or, or something like that and it's near sunrise or sunset, I always do that because it's just so amazing to see how faithful God is and so predictable to the second. Last week I shared with some of you coming into the church office Sunday morning, coming to church, seeing the sunrise and thinking, there, it's, there it is. And, and I actually don't care for the shorter days. I like longer days. And so it was like I'm driving in the midst of this, Uh, Shorter day, and yet I found myself being, (laughs) the days are going to get shorter, and I found myself complaining. That's literally what I was doing. I was complaining, the days are getting shorter. I mean, look at this, I'm going to church and it's still dark outside. And then the sun came really up, and I remembered, his faithfulness is new every morning. Every morning. And we're driving along, and I forget who it was that was sitting next to me in the van. We came early. We're driving, and last week there was little patches of frost. and I again thought of the sovereignty of God. How predictable God in his faithfulness is with the rising of the sun. And how random his sovereignty is in the blade of grass that get frosted. Do you see? God is sovereign over both, the predictable and the unpredictable. He knows it all. That's why he asked Job, Who gendered the frost? (laughs) Every single little crystal of frost, God's sovereignty is right over it. He's in control. I'm actually a little ahead of myself, but it ties in here. But he comes back to this in this prayer. It comes back to the idea that God is the creator, and by him all things consist. And when we see creation functioning in spite of the curse, It should remember us that when we see creation groaning and travailing together in pain, that God is still sovereign and God is still good. You notice here in verse 25, these believers pray, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said. Do you know what he is about to do in this prayer? He is about to quote from the Holy Scriptures. He is about to quote from the word of God. Brothers and sisters, this should be a key part of all of our prayers, is to speak to ourselves and to God what he has already said. What's going to happen here with these men is they're not only going to deal with the psalm that is, is encouraging actually a little bit discouraging, but encouraging, they're going to deal with an aspect that's a prophecy, and it's a whole magnificent thing that fills in and ties in with their exact situation. And so, the great psalm of David, they begin to recite back to God. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You see, they're talking here about those... um, Mm -hmm. Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, the Sanhedrin, who are threatening them. They're threatening. They're raging. They imagine vain things. They can't even... They they, they see this amazing miracle that's spectacular, and they they just... They counter it with vanity. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, his Messiah, his chosen one. This was a psalm that was written a thousand years before Jesus was, became a man born in Bethlehem, a thousand years before kings stood up, as is prophesied here. And he goes on now in this prayer to cite the scriptures and the prophecy. Here's one of the great values of prophecy is to recognize that God is in control, to remember that he said it was going to be like this, and now here these guys literally were alive and present when this was fulfilled. They saw it. And what did they see? For they declare for of a truth. They're declaring they saw this happen against thy holy child, Jesus Whom thou hast anointed, you have chosen him. He was the Messiah, the Christ. But then he goes in and identifies the heathen that raged against Christ, Herod, Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. They were gathered together, they were gathered together raging, imagining a vain thing, against the Christ, But look at verse 28. Verse 28 is a really hard verse for us human beings to comprehend. What did Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, gather together to do? Now, we know the story. And we might say to kill Jesus, and you would be exactly right. Look at how they pray it. They're preaching it themselves here. What were they gathered together to do? Verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy God's hand and thy God's counsel determined before to be done. Wow. They're acknowledging not only prophecy fulfilled, but that even in the midst of these God-hating men, heathen men raging, they thought they were in control. Yet in all of their raging and actions, they were fulfilling exactly what God had already determined to be done. Wow. Wow. You see, this comes with an incredible comfort in our crises. Here the heathen are raging. and our modern illustration, creation is groaning in travail together in pain. Even in the pain and the travail, God's still sovereign, and He's still in control. And that can cause us to trust, to rest. You see, what these men are doing for themselves in this time, what we can do for ourselves, is as we recognize and acknowledge God's sovereignty, You know, a miraculous thing happens through faith. A peace that passes understanding, that is peace that we can't comprehend, will settle into our hearts. It's by faith. It is that we must believe these truths about God and that He can do that. So when we pray, and we're in the crises, let us remember not only that God is creator, not only that all things by him consist, but that he is sovereign. He governs and he rules in every little detail, no matter how we think we are in control or others are in control. And then look at verse 29. And now, Lord, here again, a declaration of God as the master. Lord, behold their threatenings. Dearly beloved, when we are in a crisis, do we ask God to see it? So much of our heartache often comes from not feeling seen. But do you know one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh? Oftentimes, we hear that translated and interpreted as the Lord who provides or Yahweh who provides. And that's exactly an accurate interpretation of it. But in its most literal translation, it means Jehovah sees. You see, the interpretation spills over because we can be so confident that if God sees something, He's going to do something about it. Isn't that exciting? So when we pray and we're struggling through something, let us pray, Lord, Master, behold this! Behold it! See it! What will you do? Think of our dear sister in this past year of the of the temptations that she's had to pray through, being told, you're barren. You'll never have children again. Then, having to recognize God's sovereignty in that, asking God to see it, giving it to him, and then surprise of surprises, you're pregnant. You begin to praise God for seeing you. And then you lose the child. Behold the pain. God, behold it. You're always good. And then they call them rainbow babies to be expecting again, totally in defiance of what the expert said just several months before. Now consider the experience. Consider how the heart and also the adversary meddles. I can't imagine the fears that she has when time goes by and you don't feel the baby for a while. God see? Behold? Behold? When do you do, Angie? April 25th. 25th. Let's pray for her, because you have battles in your mind, don't you? And we need to join with her in fellowship, in praying, not just for the baby but the battle's in the mind and in the heart. Let us pray this prayer that she would would know God as her Lord, know Him as the only God, know Him as the Creator, the one by whom all things consist, and in spite of the, the creation raging and the hormones raging and everything else, huh, God's still in control, and he's still sovereign to do whatever his hand and his counsel determined before to be done. And pray that she would know that God sees, that God beholds, and no matter what happens, he's there. You see here now, they transition in this prayer going back to the history of this early church, after all of this, do you see what they now do? They make a petition. Well, oh, they made one petition. Notice that petition is spiritual. It is God see. There's not really much specific about it. God see this, behold this. It's with the presumption that he's going to do something about it. But their request then is really intriguing, and this one is something that is for us to consider a lot more in how we pray. You know, they don't pray. Well, you could say that when they ask for God to see, they're asking for his protection. Brother Dietrich pointed that out this morning, and that's true. But I don't know if I were praying this, I'd probably be like one of those imprecatory psalms. You all know what that fancy theological term means? It's a fancy theological term talking about those psalms in the Old Testament where the people are praying judgment upon their enemies. It's called an imprecatory psalm. They're praying judgment. Boy, I'll tell you, if I were these guys, I would have been looking up David's psalms of imprecatory and, and reciting them to God. It's kind of interesting that they didn't actually do that. I think the reason is is because their purpose here was the gospel, and they weren't looking for them to be judged. They were looking for them to be saved. How exciting is that? And so what do they ask for? Boldness. Because in the midst of the raging threatening of the heathen, they want to see the heathen saved. They want to see the heathen born again. That's exactly what their declaration is. That with all boldness, and it's interesting that they put it as they rather than we, they may speak thy word. What is the significance of this? Well, I think we can apply it in our own crises in this way. Let us look beyond the material. Let me be clear. There is nothing wrong with praying about the material. In fact, in Jesus' model prayer for us, He said, give us this day our daily bread. Material prayer requests are real and good. So don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Let's pray for material things from the God who loves to give his children good gifts. Yet may I encourage you to go beyond the physical to the spiritual. And to consider how we might pray for ourselves and pray for others. Others in the spiritual life, the spiritual life. We pray for Angie, her body to carry this little precious one. We pray for her to be safely delivered of child next April. But there's so many other spiritual ways that we can pray for her. Pray that she has peace. Pray that she has comfort. Pray that she has joy. Pray that she would be delivered from the temptation of fear. Do you see how we can pray for the physical? And oh, let's keep on praying for the physical. But let's go deeper, or may I say higher. And pray in the spiritual realm that God might help us and each other. And lastly here in verse 31, let's pray for miracles. Now let me put you in a little framework here. This is at the early part of the church, which was a very special time in history, where according to Hebrews, we learned that there were very special sign miracles granted to the early church for them to do that would confirm their words. It was a unique time in history, very specific about miracles, to confirm their word in that day. Now today, we have the established word of God whereby we fall back to this as the authority. And sometimes in our orthodox correctness of making this point, we overlook the fact that God still does do miracles, especially in the spiritual realm. Look at the miracles they're asking for. They're asking for God to actually fulfill the promise of the sign miracles affirming their words. For it tells us in verse 30, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, they've just seen a miraculous sign. The whole point of the healing of this impotent man was to present a fact that all of Jerusalem would see and go, whoa, what did we just see? Who are these men? What are they saying? I'm going to pay attention. So much so that's why the Sanhedrin were like, shut up, threatening them, stop, Because they realize the significance of the sign miracle of this healed man. And they're praying, God, may it continue. Stretch forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Now, we don't today, in a dramatic and in a sign authenticating sign way, go and perform miracles the way that Peter and John did. But boy, we need to start praying like God is the God who can do the impossible. You realize, I'm not the, I'm not the gynecologist expert, but even to this day, there's certain parts of the whole conception process and they talk about stuff as the God part, the God step, because it's a miracle. Even in the conception process, you realize that god describes that entire process as something he is sovereign over in psalm 100 uh, what is that uh, not 127 uh, 139 psalm 139 of how he is the one shaping the child in the womb there there are there are times I, in a sense you might say your baby's not only the 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 rainbow baby but the miracle baby because the doctor said you're barren you'll have no more children We can pray for God to do what, from our perspective at least, is impossible. I'll tell you one of the most significant illustrations of this that we read of in the New Testament with Jesus that is absolute and guaranteed still today. I'm going to bring to a whole other illustration. Have you ever heard the miracle that Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to the sick mind tree, be thou uprooted and planted in the sea? You heard that miracle? How many of you have tried it? None of you. I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. Don't raise your hands or respond, but in your heart, truly answer the question. What is the actual miracle Jesus is talking about in context? Do you know the actual miracle? He's using that as a wild illustration, because by the way, the sick mine tree is this giant tree that has a root system that's about like that. I mean, you might get a weeping willow to be planted in certain parts of the sea, but you ain't gonna get a sick mine tree, period, at all, not at all, planted in the sea. It's impossible. He's using it as an illustration, not so that Christians go around and say, sick mine tree, go be planted in the sea. That's ridiculous. The immediate context of the words of Jesus come after he issues this command. Forgive him. Oh, if your brother offends against you, Jesus says, forgive him. And then he says, if you have faith, the faith of mustard seed, you can say to the sick mine tree, be thou uprooted and planted in the sea. Did you know that when you forgive, God just performed a miracle through your faith? We need to start performing more miracles through Faith. We forgive for Christ's sake. All of the miracles we look for, you realize how many of them are miracles? We pray for love. In Ephesians, it says that the love, we pray for love that is beyond knowledge. Huh? How can you have, huh? That's a miracle for that love to be experienced. Why? Because it is the fullness of God indwelling of us. That's all the power of God. Oh, the miracles we need to be looking for in our daily lives that he performs that there is no way we can perform. What's my crisis? What's your crisis? Will God perform a miracle in peace, in love, in forgiveness? Bruce shared this morning, God doesn't give a command that he doesn't expect us to obey. And there's a lot of commands he gives us that are impossible to obey. Just being honest with you, they're impossible without a miracle. And what is the miracle? Wrong question. Who is the miracle? His name is Jesus. And when he fills us with all of his fullness and his spirit, we can do the impossible. So in our crises, let us pray. Let us see God as our Lord. Let us see God as God. Let us see him as the creator. Let us recite to ourselves and preach to ourselves what he has already said. Let us praise him for the prophecy that he has already fulfilled, knowing that he's made some promises and prophecies about me. Here's a big one. That he will continue to perform his good work in me till the coming of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's a prophecy he's going to fulfill. I can pray that he'll fulfill that prophecy. Trust him in how he fulfilled it today. Let us pray that we can rest in God's sovereignty. And let us pray for the specifics, beginning first for God to see, and then not just for him to see, but to do what we need, both in the physical and in the spiritual. Don't forget, though he may no longer continue in this time to operate with sign miracles, he still does the impossible through our faith. So let's continue steadfastly in prayers. Heavenly Father, you are good, you are the Creator we bow before you as our Lord, as our master. Lord Jesus, you know the crises in individual lives, in individual families. You know the crisis in our church family. You know the solution. You are sovereign and you have given us your word. May we, as your dear children, search your word and know your way. May we obey, trusting in your good and sovereign predetermined will. Behold us. Do a miracle. Do what only you can do. And Heavenly Father, This morning we lift up to you especially Derek and Angie and this little one in her womb. Oh, you are God. You are the creator. You have put this little one there. You are forming and knitting this little one, though members are imperfect, still being formed. You are there. You see There's no place Angie can go, and even this little one. You can go where the ultrasounds can't go. You see. You see. And we pray that as you see, you would do. Protect this little one. Form and shape this little one. Give Angie a safe delivery of this little one. And in the days and the months leading up to the birth, we pray that you would give Angie and Derek great peace. Give them a resting assurance in your sovereignty and goodness. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your Spirit and the peace that passeth understanding. Be that comforter, dear Spirit of God, to them. Lord Jesus, we also pray that you would give them boldness for they have a miracle to testify of. Give them the opportunities to share of your goodness that in the midst of this time of joy, after sorrow, they might have opportunity to proclaim your goodness that you might be glorified. We lift them up to you. Lord, I lift up your church and each individual here. May we know you in a way that is spiritual, in a way that is real. May we know your presence. May we pray without ceasing. May every breath we take be a breath of trust and dependence upon you. May we know you and give us all boldness. Give us boldness for we have the good news. Give us the boldness to share it that you might be glorified in all things. We pray these things in your name, amen.